0: Good morning, New Life. And did anyone see uh, David's guitar string snap? And he just continued on. Yeah, that was amazing. I don't know what I would do in that situation. I probably would not be playing guitar to begin with, I guess. Hey, good morning. Whether you've been with us for a little while or you're new, uh, we at New Life, as you heard from uh, Christine, our presider, uh, we gather for the glory of God and the gospel of grace. And so, Uh, We as a church, together, as brothers and sisters, uh, in Christ, we glorify God as one. Um, That's what that's all about, and so we do come together for that. Um, Bit of a side comment for people in the parents' room. Sorry, it's a little bit of a mess at the moment. Um, We're still in the process of putting together uh, a feeding area, and so we're waiting on a few parts to get delivered. But hopefully, you guys can hear me okay, because I think they fixed the speakers. Yeah, don't just give me a thumbs up. Right. Uh, We've been in our series on baptism, I promise, uh, for a little while now, where we've been asking the question, who is responsible for keeping the promises of baptism? And last week, we determined that the promises of baptism are God's to make and to keep. And so we talked about our end of things as well, you know, our passive actions and our participation through looking to Christ again together. Now this week, as you heard in the scripture reading, uh, we're revisiting a little bit of a familiar passage. So we've already uh, read this passage before during our sermon series, um, but we are looking at the passage of Jesus being baptized by John uh, with a bit of a different focus this time. So we'll actually be examining a charge uh, given to us together as a church. Uh, But before we get into that, how about I pray for us? So if you'll join with me for prayer. Father, how good and pleasant it is uh, when brothers dwell together, when sisters dwell together in community, uh, indeed in your gathered community here at New Life and all across the world. We're thankful, Lord, that whatever walks of life we come from, whatever backgrounds, whatever stage of life that we're at now, we can come together and we find a commonality and that we can worship you. We know, Lord, that you sent your son for each and every single one of us individually and together as a body, and that makes all the difference for us, the fact that we can come together to glorify you in the gospel of grace. Uh, What a beautiful thing it is, Lord, uh, that it's not about our new lives separately, but it's about our new life together as one, one with one another as a church and one with you. As we examine this passage together, Lord, uh, would you speak to us through your Holy Spirit let it descend upon us once again, um, just as it dwells inside of our hearts, just as he dwells inside of us indeed and speaks to us. Would you clarify to us the message that you have for us, speaking to us in a gentle and, and caring reminder uh, in a clear way that we might be able to understand what it is that you have for us as a church? Uh, We pray that as you illuminate these things, that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that we might be able to hear you and receive you, that we might be changed by you, uh, that we might seek you, and that we might spur one another on as a community to uh, greater love for you. Indeed, we love you, uh, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Just before we started our baptism series at New Life, we had Compassion Sunday. Um, I don't know if you remember this hopefully you guys remember, you know, it's only a few weeks ago, Uh, we heard about the amazing work that Compassion does in uh, poverty-stricken areas, in poverty-stricken countries all around the world uh, that we can actually be a part of. Um, We who have access to financial resources that some of these countries might not have access to, you know, the children and families in these poverty-stricken areas don't have access to, because we have access to such financial resources, uh, we're able to sponsor these children and families. We're able to provide economically. Um, we, these children and families that join the Compassion Program might also have access, through our access, to things like food, hygiene, supplies, education, and hopefully a relationship with Christ uh, through our letter writing, through our sponsorship. And so through the giving of our resources, we become participants ourselves in what God is already doing, and what God is already engaged in in these areas, in these children and these families' lives. So out of the abundance that God has given us, financially or otherwise, we participate through sponsorship, supporting the growth of these children and these families as well. The same premise is at work in our baptisms. Look at the passage with me, Matthew 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so the end of our scene of uh, Jesus' baptism has a voice from heaven declaring who Jesus is. He is the son of God. And the question for us today, who is the voice from heaven speaking to? Who is the voice from heaven addressing? Now there's a lot of characters in this very small section of text. You know, we know from the last time that we visited this text that there are a lot of people there, okay? The crowds are gathered there to be baptized uh, for the repentance of their sins, okay? We've heard this before. The crowds are already gathered there. Obviously, John the Baptist is there. He's the one baptizing. And of course, Jesus is there, the voice from heaven, the spirit of God. You know, the whole trinity is moving in unity there. The voice declares This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So who is this declaration for? It's not for Jesus. The son of God knows who he is already. He doesn't need a reminder to tell him, oh yeah, I am the son of God. He doesn't need that, right? He's always been the son of God, even from before his incarnational birth here on earth. It's not as though he's just now discovering or just now becoming the son of God. That would be heresy, okay? so. He has always been the Son of God. The voice is speaking instead to John and the crowds around him. All the other people that are there, the voice is speaking to them, the gathered community. This is who the voice is addressing. There's an announcement in response to Jesus' obedience that he is indeed the Son of God. And by this, we can infer there's also the announcement of God's promise to us the ones who are obedient as well. There's a communal element to Jesus' baptism. We don't often think about this. We often think purely about Jesus himself, purely about his relationship with the Father, purely about his relationship to John the Baptist even, but there's a communal element to Jesus' baptism. The declaration that identifies who Jesus is, it's made before the gathered community. This is a very important theological distinction here. There's an important charge here as well to us, the church, who reads this. So as the declaration is made, the Spirit of God descends like a dove upon Jesus, and the one, we've heard this before, who is to baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire is equipped with the Spirit himself. Okay, the Spirit descends upon him, equips him, just as he sends the Spirit to us, later on, to dwell in us and to equip us. Those of us who call Christ our Lord, we are equipped with the Holy Spirit. So we go from the example that Jesus shows us in his baptism to the gift to the community and for the community as well. John 16 reads this, "'Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth.'" This is Jesus speaking. "'It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So Jesus is telling his disciples here that it's for their benefit that he's going away. So that the counselor, the Holy Spirit will come to them And as Jesus goes, so we're given the Holy Spirit. Why? What are we equipped with the Holy Spirit for? The mission of our lives, as we said before, isn't to be saved and then to make a nice, comfortable life for ourselves here on earth. This is not the mission of our lives. Like, would Jesus truly send the Holy Spirit so that we can have a nice, comfortable life here on earth and then wait until we die. Why wouldn't he just take us immediately then? The passage from John 16 tells us, when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. We are on mission to gather his people, to bring them the good news of God's grace, to baptize, to teach in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see in Jesus' baptism that the whole thing takes place in the context of community. And that who Jesus is, is declared to the gathered community. So why is it so crucial that this declaration of someone's identity is in the context of community? Why in our baptisms is it so crucial that our identity is declared in the context of community? Why is it so crucial that Jesus, Even as Jesus is equipped, he equips us with the Holy Spirit, so we might do as he did, so we might be on mission with him together. So the charge is given to us. Okay, this is the charge. If the baptism is an initiation, as we've said before, as we've come to the conclusion of, baptism is an an initiation into the covenant community here. If that's the case, then surely, the community being initiated into must take responsibility for the one being baptized. So what's the point here? Let's put it all together, okay? This might be a little bit hard to follow, but let's put it together. Imagine a scenario like baptism in any other context, in any other community, okay? So I know that at New Life, we have a group of people that likes to go climbing together, okay? You guys know climbing, right? What if you came, this is what climbing looks like. What if you came along to New Life and you heard, you know, Tim and, and Renee and John Hong just talking about climbing. They're really excited. You know, you sound, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. It sounds like it could be easy, the way that they put it. They don't tell you about the injuries, okay? So you ask them, the climbing community here at New Life, about what climbing is all about. And they tell you how to get involved in climbing with them they initiate you into their community. They tell you, yeah, come along. What would be the expectation from you as the initiate into this community that's already established? Wouldn't you expect as a newcomer that they will give you a basic rundown of how climbing works, of how to actually go about doing these things so that you don't fall to your demise or whatever happens? You know, you might wanna know Where should I even meet you guys? Where do you guys meet to go climbing? The expectation would be that they, as an established community, take some sort of responsibility for you, the initiate, not just to leave you in the dark to figure things out for yourself. This is the expectation that we have. So how much more for the church then? We are the gathered church, the ones who have been saved by grace by a gracious God and equipped with the Holy Spirit, that we might teach and guide and disciple through the reading of the Holy Scriptures together, and then that we might do His will, working in us what is pleasing in His sight. It's out of the abundance of grace and mercy that we're saved through the giving of the Son of God's life, and so out of the overflow of His grace and mercy Those of us who are in Christ, who have access to the gracious resources of God, can give of our lives to those being baptized, just as Jesus did for us. We have to spend a little bit of time reframing everything that we know about the way that culture, the way that, you know, our community kind of works everything that we know about baptism, because we have grown up in such an individualistic and self-centered culture, that everything kind of comes back to what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? How does this benefit me? And we have to reframe it to, how does this benefit the community? So why do we go together in baptism then, if we think about it in this way? There are benefits for the baptized. So this is the individual part, that most people think about when it comes to their baptisms, their own personal aspect of the act, you know, their own personal memories, how much it means to them. You know, I don't disparage these things, but the communal aspect of baptism, why we need each other is because for those who are already part of the gathered community, your way of life, you as in the people that are already part of this community, it provides a living example, a testament to the word of God and the way of Christ. As you take part in holy living, the newly baptized find that they have brothers and sisters that they can trust, those that they can look to for discipleship and growth in the way of God. Can we go to that? Next slide. So it's a means for them to know and grow and to change. It's a means for them to look to you, the ones that are baptized already, the ones that are part of this community already, to lead them, to disciple them. This is how it benefits those that are now getting baptized. Now there are benefits for those that are already part of the community, okay? We'll call them sponsors. There are benefits for those that sponsor. For those who are already part of the gathered community and are helping those who are being baptized as well, okay? So for the sponsors, you're challenged to go deeper in your walk with God, that you might live such a model life as well. You'll see it on the next slide there that you may demonstrate through your life of confession and repentance the grace of God. And by this, you also grow in your love for God too. You and your discipleship of those that are now being baptized and initiated into this community, you will grow. In discipleship, like in baptism, we participate by looking together to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the ongoing grace of the same Jesus together. And as you do this for them, as you confess, as you repent before them, as you lead them to looking back towards grace, you yourself will grow. This is how the established community will benefit. And lastly, there are benefits for the church as well. The benefits for the church, the gathered community of Christ followers, On the next slide there is a community brought together by God's covenant love. We become a covenant community through extending this covenant love to one another. The promises of God, as we saw, are announced to the obedient. And so we as a church, we get shaped in this way. We as New Life are shaped as this covenant community as it becomes more and more a part of our culture. So we will find that we have a greater care for our members we'll find we have a fulfillment towards our vision for discipleship as well. Parents will benefit in a great way because they'll get to see their children taught and raised up by the greater community around them. Those of us that are in this community that come from very different walks of life that our children may not necessarily encounter in our family units. Those that have different gifts. Those that can help our children to grow in different ways. And as children grow in such a community, we see the way that this type of loving, godly community benefits them as well. It truly does take a village to raise a child. So how do we get there? How do we actually end up at this place? Now, it might feel like a tall order. Okay? When we think about this, you know, changing an entire cultural way of living for the sake of our church feels like it might be very difficult to do. We have to move from self-absorption to selflessly giving of ourselves, to move from not wanting to burden ourselves with other people's lives to instead taking responsibility for them. This is a very big task for us when we think about this. There's an old Latin phrase that is still part of the church today, lex orandi, lex credendi, which means the law of what is prayed is the law of what is believed. This means that the way that we worship together is directly linked to what we believe. What we do together in our worship services, what we do together in our lives of worship is directly linked to what's believed by us. What we participate in here at New Life is our theology. Our theology is not divorced from this. Our theology is actually part of what we do in worship. Otherwise, we don't really believe it because we don't practice it. And as these things are linked, what we believe must become part of our worship as well. It's a two-way street, okay? So as we grow in our theology, so our worship, our doxology grows as well. Now if we know that this cultural way of life, this level of discipleship for the baptized, this walking together and this sharing of life together is what's necessary for the Christian life, then we must worship in this way as well. We have to live in this way. Now, I mentioned Compassion Sunday earlier. In the lead up to Compassion Sunday, you know, if you were part of uh, New Life during that time, we had several videos that talked about Compassion's mission and how it started. If you don't remember, so in 1952, one man, an American man ministering in Korea, saw the plight of the war orphans and prayed for change. You know, he saw war orphans dying in the cold. He saw how much the war affected these guys. To Reverend uh, Everett Swanson, he developed special sponsorship programs for these orphans. And so he allowed for those in other countries, those that had financial access to resources, to participate by sponsoring these children with biblical education, with food, with clothing, with shelter, with medical aid and hygiene, very similar to what we do now uh, if we participate in compassion. So through the faithfulness of one man to the faithfulness of many brothers and sisters in a gathered community, we now see Korea in the state that it is today. Released from poverty, with Korea now becoming prosperous enough economically that Korea can now be sponsors to other countries as well. Through God's faithfulness, through God's support of growth in these families, we see the children grow and thrive into adulthood, becoming those who change the culture around them. Can we see the same at New Life? Is that possible for us here at New Life? If it's possible by your faith, by the faith of one person, can we see that change? Apart from the good work of compassion, looking towards baptism again, can we be those who support and sponsor those in baptism together as the ones charged by God as a covenant community to receive those who are being initiated into our community? Post-WinterCon, When we have baptisms, when people are being baptized, will you now take that charge to disciple these guys, to walk with them? We can help to shape their walk in Christ that they might one day do the same for our children and our children's children as well. If you can imagine with me, let's pray together. Father, I wanna lift up a prayer for all those that are gathered here today, all those that are gathering in person, all those that are gathering online, all those that gather that are unbaptized, and all those that gather that are baptized, all infants, all children, all adults. We pray for everyone gathered together for the unbaptized here. I pray, Father, that you would help them to find community here, that you would help them to find belonging here, that you would help them to find those brothers and sisters that they can trust to walk with them, to keep them looking to Jesus first. If that's you, If you count yourself among this number, I ask that you pray that with me as well. That you will be able to find community here. That God would raise up good brothers and sisters around you who help you to look to Jesus' grace once again. baptized in the members of the Covenant community here at New Life, my prayer is that you would encourage your friends around you to be baptized into this Covenant community. It might feel very direct, it might feel very awkward, but if you truly understand the benefits of being part of this Covenant community here at New Life, if you truly understand the meaning of your baptism, and I pray that you would approach your friends who are unbaptized and encourage them to pray about things, to think about baptism. And I pray that you would know the responsibility that you take on for them if they are going to be baptized, that you would keep them and yourself accountable, that you would celebrate with them, that you would mourn with them, that you would walk with them, that you would admonish and disciple them as well, just as you've been admonished and discipled. Let's pray. Here in New Life, despite outward appearances, we are many, we are varied, we are in very different states of spiritual being, and yet we find that we have one thing in common, and that's Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank you that you sent your Son to live, to be baptized, to die, to be raised again. It's in him that we find the answer. It's in him that we find the solution. It's in him that we find our example, our model, and we find life eternal. We pray, Lord, as we look to his baptism, as we look to the way that you declared his identity before a gathered community, that you would help us, Lord, to look to our own baptisms, that you'd help us to recognize that our identity is solidified before this gathered community as well god indeed our community our home here in new life for those that don't quite feel at home yet i pray lord that you would place your hand upon them that you reassure them that you welcome them in that they have a place among brothers and sisters here that they can be baptized they can be initiated into this community we accept them with open arms, with great love, with great compassion, and a dedication to discipleship. We pray for those of us who are part of the established community here, that you would help us, Lord, to not allow our hearts to grow hard by the ways of this world, indeed by our own heart's leanings, our own heart's desires, but that you would soften them once again that you'd help us, Lord, to look with compassion upon our brothers and sisters, upon those that have been called but have not answered the call yet. We pray, Lord, that as our hearts break for them, the way that yours breaks for them, that we would go to them, that we would share the gospel of grace with them, the way that we've heard, the way that we know, and the way that we've been changed that they themselves might find in them a desire for commitment, just as you, by your Holy Spirit, push us towards commitment with them. Would you help new life to be shaped by these things, that new life can become a place of discipleship, a place of welcoming, a place of love. We pray that you would move our hearts once again. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.